Good morning. Jesus is there. We just sang that. What a thought that is. There's a lot of places, lots of things out there that concern us, scare us, and worry us. But knowing that Jesus is there, what a thought that is. Really appreciate you singing that song so well, so passionately as we come together today to study and to worship God. Jimmy said as, so accurately, this is the beginning of a new week, and this is the best day of this week. Coming together with God's people to remember, to reflect, to praise, and to honor our God so much. If you got your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Ezekiel. The Old Testament prophet, Ezekiel. We're going to be spending a little bit of time in that book, and we encourage you to get your Bibles open to there, or your phones, or your tablets, or your scrolls, or whatever you use. And Ezekiel is one of those late prophets in our Bible. It is written the same time as Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. Those three books were written at the same time period. And things were not going well for the nation of God. And God's patience had run out. And so the Babylonians were coming. Prophet after prophet had been sent said, you better straighten up. You got to quit dancing with these idols. You got to be wholly committed to God. And the nation wouldn't listen. So Jeremiah takes place in Jerusalem as the city falls apart. Ezekiel and Daniel take place over in Babylon where they were taken away in captivity. Now Ezekiel is one of those unique books in our Bible. You know, we, we study the prophets and sometimes the prophets are hard to get. But unlike the other prophets other than maybe Hosea, God has Ezekiel live out the book. He had him do things to demonstrate what was going on. So on one occasion, God told Ezekiel to write a scroll. They told him to eat it. Imagine taking a piece, imagine taking your bulletin this morning, after you fill out your notes, and said, now I want you to eat what you just wrote down. On another occasion, God told Ezekiel to cook his food over cow, cow manure. That doesn't sound very good, does it? On another occasion, God told Ezekiel to shave his beard and to divide it in three sections. And that was to remind them of something. On yet another occasion, Ezekiel's wife died. And God said, you're not going to mourn her. You're going to preach the word of God. And so we see over and over throughout this book that Ezekiel is being told to do things to demonstrate what was going on between God and his people. We're going to be focusing in just a moment now on chapter 22 of the book of Ezekiel. You know, all around our community... You see this about any store you go to, about any restaurant you go to, you see these signs. And you can go to just about any major city on any major streets, and you'll see this. Sometimes you go into restaurants, and you'll see a whole bunch of empty tables. But the people checking you in will say, it'll be a 40-minute wait. And you think, well, there's a table right there. And the reason is there's simply no help today. People are looking for people to work. It's caused stores to be closed. It's called a long wait on supplies and different reasons. There's a lot of reasons for that. But we see we're in a time where so many companies are looking to hire people. Grocery stores, gas stations, banks, rental car places, the airline industry. It's had a major impact. And when we look at our Bible, we remind ourselves that God has always been looking. It's interesting to know some of the common passages that bring this to our mind. We remember in Luke 15 about the shepherd who left 99 sheep to go looking for that one lost sheep. He was looking. 
Within that same chapter, there's a woman who lost a coin, and she swept her house and turned on the light until she could find the coin that was lost. In Hebrews chapter 11, as it talks about Abraham, it says he was looking for the city which has foundations whose architect and builder is God. In Acts chapter 1, the search was on to find a new apostle to take the place of Judas. And our Lord said in the Sermon on the Mount, Seek, and ye shall find. So when we come to the book of Ezekiel and chapter 22, God is on the search. He's on the look for something. We begin by understanding that the nation was not following God. Spiritual interest was at a real low here. And so what God does at the very beginning of chapter 22 is he presents a series of evidence, like a, like a lawyer in a courtroom, showing where the nation had not been right with God. Notice with me, if you will, verse 4 of Ezekiel chapter 22. You have become guilty by the blood which you have shed, and defiled by the idols which you have made. Thus you brought your day near and have come to your years. Therefore, I've made you a reproach to the nations and mocking to all the nations. Once again, as we look in verse 7, it says, They have treated father and mother lightly within you. The alien they have oppressed in your midst. The fatherless and the widow they have wronged in you. In you. Verse 8 says, You've despised my holy things and profaned my Sabbaths. He would say in verse 12, he says, In you they have taken bribes to shed blood. You have taken interest and profits. You have injured your neighbors for gain by oppression. You have forgotten me, declares the Lord your God. What God is saying is, time's up. You're going to be invaded. And here's why. Over and over and over again, you haven't done what's right. From the top to the bottom, they were rotten. And as we go on just a little bit deeper in this chapter, notice how he identifies these different, these different groups. He says in verse 25, he says, There's a conspiracy of her prophets in her midst, like a roaring lion seeking to prey. They have devoured lives. They have taken treasure and precious things. They have made widows in the midst of her. Instead of leading the people to God's word, you prophets, he says, have been not right. And then the very next verse, he says, the priests have not been right. Verse 26, he says, her priests have done violence to my law and have profaned my holy things. Then he says in verse 27 about the princes, the princes within her are like wolves, tearing the prey by shredding blood, by shedding blood and destroying lives in order to get dishonest gain. Then he says in verse 29, the people of the land have practiced oppression and committed robbery. They've wronged the poor and the needy and oppressed the sojourner without justice. God said, every one of you is guilty. From top to bottom, from inside and out. Now, we're going to go on here in just a minute, but right here we got to stop. Right here we got to see a lesson for us. And one of the lessons we got to see is that all of us are uniquely, individually responsible for our lives. We need to see that no person is under the total dominion of someone else. No one can control what you believe. No one can tell you, you have to believe this. And in the midst of this rotten nation, there could have been somebody who stood up. We remember in Acts chapter 4 where the apostles were told, you will not preach this man's name, Jesus, anymore. Peter said, we cannot stop but preaching him. You cannot control what I believe. Like a little boy got in trouble one day. His mother just was at wit's end. She told him, go sit in the corner for a while and think about your behavior. 
After a while, she, she kind of spoke out. Are you sitting in the corner? He says, I'm sitting on the outside, but on the inside, I'm standing. Well, that's that idea. And then we also understand every person is responsible for their conduct. We can't point our fingers and say, well, it's the prophets, that's why I'm this way. It's the priests, that's why I'm this way. It's the princes, that's why I'm this way. Every single person is responsible. We cannot use our culture today. We cannot hide behind society. We've got to stop using that phrase, well, you know, boys will be boys. That's just an excuse for bad behavior. We need to see that what God is saying is, Top to bottom, inside out, you all have made these choices. And then in Ezekiel chapter 22, we come to this powerful verse, verse 30. And I searched for a man among them who should, who should build up the wall and stand in the gap before the land. Now the illustration here, now at the time God says this, the walls of Jerusalem were still there. There wasn't a gap. But what God is saying is imagine there's a hole in the wall. And imagine I'm coming through. It's God who's coming through. And I'm coming through because every one of you is guilty. But I'm looking for one person who cares. I'm looking for one person to stand in that gap and say, Lord, I am righteous. Lord, I stand with you. I am with you. And the Lord says, I look for that person. And it says, as the verse continues on, I found no one. I found no one to stand in that gap. I found no one to fill that spot. No one who would care. No one who would make a difference. God was hoping. God was looking. But there was no one. Turn with me earlier in your Bibles to the book of Genesis in chapter 18. How similar this sounds to us like Abraham. Remember back in Genesis 18, God told Abraham that he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And it was going to be a very serious thing that takes place. And in verse 26, Abraham begs God not to do that. And he says in Genesis 18, verse 26, he says, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I'll spare the whole place on their account. Then just a verse or two later, in verse 28, Suppose there are not 50, but there's lacking five. Will you destroy the city because of five? What if there's 45? God says he wouldn't do that. Verse 29, suppose there are 40, and then it goes down to 30, and then it goes down to 20. Finally, it goes down to, to 10. What if there's 10 righteous people? God said he would spare the city. And guess what? They couldn't find 10 people. In the book of Jeremiah, the prophet says this, written at the same time period. Wrote, roam to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. Look now, take note. Seek in her open squares. If you can find a man, if there's one who does justice, who seeks truth, then I will pardon her, but there was no one. Very similar to what the apostle said in the book of Romans, chapter 3. It says, As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who, stands, who understands. There is no one who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. We think of that hymn, No, not one. God's looking over the city and says, Is there not one person? One person who will stand in this gap. 
Is there not one righteous person? Is there not one person who cares? Now from this, I want to share with you three simple lessons this morning. First lesson, first and foremost, we need to see and appreciate that there is no one that can save your soul other than Jesus Christ. If you want to go to heaven, it has to be through Jesus Christ. Jesus came to seek you. He came to seek and save that which is lost. In the book of Acts, in chapter 4, verse 12, the Bible says this. It says, there is no salva- there's salvation, no one else, for there is no other name under heaven which has been given among men by which we must, we, we must be saved. It's only in Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 7, as we think about the wise man and the foolish man. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded upon the rock. There will be global storms that cross our paths. There will be such things as wars and hard times. There will be national storms, such as economic hardships school shootings, and things such as that. There'll be family storms, such as divorce and death. And there's going to be personal storms, such as fear and worry and things that cross our path. And yet what he says is, he doesn't describe the storm. He doesn't say, now only if it's this kind of storm, your house will stand. Come the storm, whatever the storm, whatever the source, if our house is built upon Jesus... We will stand. Only Jesus can forgive you from what you've done. Only Jesus. You cannot be good enough. You cannot go to church enough times. You cannot give enough money. Only Jesus through his blood can forgive you. That's why we need to be baptized. That's why we need to follow Jesus. Only Jesus can give you eternal hope. We will see his face we've sung this morning. Jesus. And only Jesus can make things better in your life. Again, that's that concept as we think about how important it is to have this hope, to have this understanding in Jesus Christ. If you want to go to heaven, Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. There is no other way. I sought a man to stand in the gap. God says I found no one. The rest of our time now, I'm going to talk about two gaps. Gap number one is your family. Who in your family is going to be the righteous person? Who in your family is going to stand up for what's right? Who in your family is going to be spiritually strong? Who in your family is going to set the example? Who in your family is going to show the way of righteousness? Somebody asked me this week, am I going to talk about school shootings? Not as a sermon, but right now as a point. In America, what we have is a massive absence of fathers. They are happy to make a baby, but then they disappear. And fatherhood is replaced today by kids growing up, first of all, with no God, never going to worship, having no moral compass, being raised not by babysitters, but by TV, video games, and that concept. You remove God out of the picture, you remove a central male figure out of the picture, and then there's no reverence for life, there's no respect for authority, I'll do what I want to do. And so when we look in the book of Ephesians, in chapter 5, And God talks about the head of the house. Men, that does not mean after church you get to decide where you're going to go to eat. Bible says I'm the head of the house, so here's where we're going, honey. That's not what that means. What that means is you 
Being the man of the man, being the man of the family must lead that family to heaven. I look for a man to stand in the gap. Is there anybody in your family that says, Lord, that's me? I will stand in that gap. I will be an example to my wife. I'll be an example to my children. Will you be that voice in your family? Your daughter is getting ready to go out and say, excuse me? You're not wearing that on the outside. Go put some clothes on. And she says, mom says, okay, I'm going to have a discussion with your mother when this is over. But no, I am a voice. I am standing in the gap for my family. I'm going to be the example. I'm going to do what God wants us to do. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, Notice this common bond we find. It starts in verse 23. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he's a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Well, Pharaoh had to rule and they're going to kill all those little Hebrew babies. Those little Hebrew baby boys would be thrown in the river they to be drowned. Pharaoh, or excuse me, Moses' mom and dad said, I don't care if he's the king. I don't care if he said that. I don't care if that's the law. That's wrong. God wouldn't do that. And so they did it. And the passage says, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. And then the very next verse, by faith, when he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. Where did he get that? Mom wasn't afraid. Dad wasn't afraid. I'm not afraid. You see that faith coming down the pike? Now, what happened if old Mama Pharaoh or Mama Moses and his mother and father said, well, you know, we don't want to cause a scene here. We don't want to get in trouble, so we're going to take little baby Moses and toss him in the river because that's what the king says. The Bible would have ended real early, wouldn't it? We wouldn't have these stories. But God, in their heart, in their faith, understood that. And so he endured as seeing him who is unseen. Somebody stand in the gap. Somebody stand up for your family. When that little one says, Dad, I don't want to go to church. That's okay. You don't have to go, son. No, we're going to go to church. I don't want to do this. We're going to do this. I don't want to sit around the table, hold hands, and have a prayer. I don't want to do that. We're going to do that. Why? Because I am a man standing in the gap for my family. If I don't get my family to heaven, who is? Who is? Now, from this, we think about what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. This is the priority. This is number one. This comes before my pleasure. This becomes before me. This comes before us. This comes before happiness. This comes before what I want. This is what God wants us to do. The kingdom first and all these things. And it begins first when the kids are little. Getting them down to the worship house. Getting them to sit down and read the Bible together at home. This gets them when they get a little bit older. Here's somebody, and oh, daddy, he is so cute. Oh, man, this girl, she makes me laugh. I'm going to marry her. 
Is that person going to get you to heaven? Is that person going to be somebody you can get to heaven? That's what the Bible's emphasizing here, seeking first. And then it carries through with priorities all of our life. Turn your Bible, if you will, with me to the book of Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Let me read you something. This is coming down the pike pretty soon. But it says, there is a crisis taking place in America, a major shortage. It's nationwide. It's not baby formula. It's not supplies that may be sitting on a ship on the West Coast. But something is missing, and it's just getting harder and harder anymore. What am I talking about? Preachers. There seems to be a shortage of supply of preachers these days. Some may rejoice. Many won't notice. But it ought to be something that catches our attention and something we ought to be concerned about. I do not remember, this is something I wrote, I do not remember any time in my life when I've heard of so many churches at one time looking for a preacher. Country churches, city churches, little churches, big churches, churches that are hitting on all cylinders, dead churches. Why is it? And I think that has something to do with our verse today. Oh, son, you don't want to preach. Be a lawyer. Oh, son, you don't want to preach? You can do so much more with your life. Oh, son, you don't want to preach? Where have we put the kingdom? Sunday morning, and we're done with it. And what are we telling our young people? There are so many things you can do. Son, think N-B-A. Son, think N-F-L. Son, think about G-O-D. God. Acts 16, verse 1 and 2. Paul came to Derby and to Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, a son of a Jewish woman, and he was a believer, who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium, two different cities. Paul wanted this man to go with him. Now you stop, you stop and think about this, mamas. This isn't saying, hey, we're going, we're going to take your son to California for a couple weeks, do a little preaching, and come back home. Everywhere Paul went up to this point, he was chased. He was imprisoned. His life was threatened. You may not see Timothy again. Who knows where the Lord's going to send us? Who knows what conditions we may find? Who knows how hard this may be? And, and, and what did Timothy's mom say? Well, well, he, he signed up to go to the local university, and he's going to study business, and he's going to get a job and marry a college girl and give me a whole bunch of grandbabies. I want Timothy to be by me. No, she didn't say that. She had a kingdom concept. Seek first the kingdom. You are impressed with my son? You being one of the apostles would like my son to go with you? Go, Timothy. Go serve Jesus. Go do what's right. Do you see that? And, and, and again, I wonder about these things because of the times we're in. As we think about some of the difficulties that is. So we need to see as we think about the times we live in. As a family. Am I putting the kingdom first? Stand in the gap. Who's it going to be in your family? That says, no, we don't go to those movies. No, we don't do this. Yes, we're going to go on this time because the gospel is going to be preached. Yes, we're going to go help this family. Yes, we're going to do this. Somebody to stand in the gap. Next point, real simple point, very easy to follow. Who's going to stand in the gap in this congregation? 
This congregation is doing wonderful things. We're hitting a lot of cylinders, a lot of people, a lot of moving parts. But what happens when those moving parts cannot move anymore? What happens when the leaders cannot lead anymore? What happens when all those volunteers, all those teachers cannot do it anymore? Who's going to stand in the gap? Now listen to me now and listen carefully. I believe we have a concept of the church like a cruise ship. A lot of us have been on cruise ships. Me and Miss Debbie have been on a cruise ship before. And on a cruise ship, you don't do nothing. They do it all for you. We was on one one time, and they cleaned their room three times and said, Sir, I haven't even dirtied it yet. Let me at least put a towel on the floor. But they were there to serve us. On one occasion, we had a special button. It's called the Neptune button. And anything Mrs. Shouse wanted, she could push the Neptune button, and they would answer and do things. So we were with Bob and Mary Quinn. We saw on the brochure, you could have a high English tea. Wonder if we could do that. Instead of calling, we push the Neptune button. Yes, Mr. Shouse, we could do the high tea right now if you want it, wherever you want it. All we had to do was push the Neptune button. So here I am at Charlestown Road and Shepherds, Neptune button. Here I am. I'm preachers, Neptune button. Here I am. I'm deacons, Neptune button. Here I am. And I think sometimes that's our concept of the church. Here I am, serve me. But the realistic picture is this. We're on a battleship in a war. It's all hands on deck. And every one of us is needed. We don't do the same thing. We have different obligations. But all of us are to serve a point. Now, take your Bible. Having said that, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, the apostle talks about these very things. And he talks about the working of the church and how these things ought to be. And so in Ephesians chapter 4, he begins by saying, God has given us. Notice what God has given us. Ephesians 4 begins verse 11. It says, and he gave. And what we're going to read here is everything God gave involved teaching. God didn't give a personal athletic trainer. That's not part of the church. God did not give a chef. That's not part of the church. God did not give a car mechanic. That's not part of the church. What the church is about is honoring God and getting each other ready to heaven. And how we do that is through our Bibles. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, for the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of stature which belongs in the fullness of Christ. As a result, we're no longer to be children, tossed here and there by the ways, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Focus on verse 16. From whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. He's talking here about each individual part. Now, each part may be doing different things, but they're all functioning, and they're all working, and they're all doing what God wants us to do. What has God done for you? What has God done for you? Well, he forgave me. He gave me a second chance. He allowed me to be part of this congregation. 
What has God done for this church? Well, look what he's done for this church. He's given us growth. He's given us stability and unity. Now, we flip that around. What have I done for God? What have I done for this church? Have you seen this? Years ago, you used to see a lot of people hitchhiking. Now, today, we would never pull over because we're afraid to cut our throats off, you know. But years ago, people would just hitchhike. They'd hold their thumb out. Car would pull over. He'd get in for a ride. He's not going to help you with the gas. He's not going to pay for his travels. When you've gone as far as he's gone, he's out. I'm done. Hitchhiking. Am I hitchhiking to heaven? What am I doing to help this place? What am I doing to help Jesus? Now, here are some things. In the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah was asked a similar question to like Ezekiel. And the prophet Isaiah responded by saying, Lord, here am I, send me. Imagine the Lord saying, I'm looking for someone to encourage the young married couples. We got a whole bunch of young married couples, a whole bunch about to get married. And most of us who've been married know those first few years can be just a little bit different, a little bit tough sometimes until they get to know each other and put the Lord into all things. Who would say, Lord, I will stand in the gap, I will help the young married couples? Raise your hand if you would do that. Right now, raise your hand. Don't be embarrassed. Raise your hand. Who would invite somebody to worship? How about pray for the hurting? We've got a lot of people hurting in a lot of different ways. Lord, you can count on me. How about helping our VBS? Right around the corner, we've got a lot of work that needs to be done. A lot of people are needed. How about serving as a deacon if you're qualified? How about making this a better place? How about leading as a shepherd? You see, the Lord says in Ezekiel, I look for somebody to stand in the gap, and there was nobody across this country. It hurts me deeply to know so many churches that are falling apart. And to see the trouble and the discouragement going on in these churches. And I could say, well, why don't you do this? Why don't you do this? And the answer is always the same answer in every place I talk to. Who's going to do that? There is simply no one. So what we need to do is remind ourselves to become a role model. That's what Paul told Timothy. Don't let anybody look down on your youthfulness. Be, be, be an example, he says. And word and purity and all the things you should be doing. Be an example, he says. Don't assume that someone else will do it. You've heard this little story before about four people named everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. There was an important job to be done. Everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have. If you stayed with that, you're pretty good. Bottom line with all that is, nobody did anything. And once again, can you imagine Jesus looking down at this church? I'm looking. I'm looking for somebody to stand in this gap. I'm looking for somebody to rise up. I'm looking for somebody to make a difference. I'm looking for somebody to set the standard. Those are the concepts I think we need to see as we think about this. We live in troublesome times, but we got to get off this cruise ship. We got to realize we got to put on our helmets, get on that battleship, and get together and do what God wants. Some of us may be steering the boat. 
Some of us may be down there loading the ammo. Some of us may be out there looking out through the binoculars. Different roles, different functions. But what you never find on the Navy ship is somebody just sitting there and saying, well, I'm just catching a ride. I'm not doing anything. I just signed up so I can get to Hawaii for free. No, that doesn't happen. Navy, Navy doesn't allow that. A lot of us have heard of the famous Oscar Hammerstein. We think about Rodgers and Hammerstein. And somebody once asked him, as he wrote so many of those famous plays, why he spent so much time meticulously looking at the words, the music, how, how detailed he was. And he said the reason why he was was because of a story he heard about the making of the Statue of Liberty. The Statue of Liberty was made in the 1800s by a French sculptor, long before drones, long before airplanes. And the sculptor spent months making the hair on top of the head just right. And when somebody says, once that statue's up, no one's going to see the top of the head. Why do you spend so much time on there? His reply was, God sees that. And that so impressed Oscar Hammerstein that he said, whenever I write music, whenever I write score for a play, it's going to be the best. Why? Because God is going to see that. And that's what we have to do. This is Memorial Day weekend. It's time for picnics, cookouts, family get-togethers, car races. But what it's all about is not just remembering servicemen. We got a day for that. Just not remembering those who are overseas. We got a day for that. It's to remember those who went overseas and they didn't come back. It's to remember those who died defending our country. And so we have a day for that. The ultimate sacrifice. They gave their life for what they believed in. My dad, the whole time he was alive, he never ever talked about World War II, probably until the last two years of his life. And then he started telling stories, stories we never heard before. One of the stories he told me is when he was 18 years old, graduated from Cole City, Indiana High School, 18 years old, we got several of those here, signed up for the Marines. He had never left the state of Indiana. He was going to be sent over to the South Pacific to fight the Japanese. He was in San Diego getting ready to get on a ship, and his job was to load white crosses onto that ship, knowing that American soldiers were going to be killed. And nearly 80 years after that happened, still with tears in his eyes, he said, when I load those white crosses, I often wondered if my name would be on one of those. Did he run away? No. Did he say, I'm out of here? No. He served because that's the right thing to do. And we tell those stories just to remind us that the greatest thing you can do is serving the Lord. Kingdom first. That's the idea. I belong to him and he belongs to me. God says, I'm looking. I'm looking. I'm looking for somebody in your family who's going to stand in this gap. Who says, I'm going to draw a line with God. And when God says no, that's what I'm saying. When God says yes, that's what I'm saying. Family, I stand with God. No more questions. I stand with God. I am in the gap with God. And God's looking for somebody in this church. Who's going to stand up? 
We got powerful, powerful people in this church. There's old Jason leading singing. When I grow up, I want to be like Jason. You know? He's got so much talent, you know, just just you know, just throw one my way once in a while. You know, the guy can preach, the guy can lead singing, he can do everything. But what happens when Jason is no longer able to do that? I'm closer to that end. What happens when that Sunday happens and old Brother Shouse isn't preaching anymore? Or Brother Shouse went through that door? Or our shepherds, one by one, have gone through that door? We're going to say, well now, well, well, now we better start looking about that. Maybe it's time to start standing in the gap today. Who among us will stand in that gap? Who among us will say, Lord, you can count on me. I'm here. Here am I, Lord. Send me. If you're subject in any way, why don't you come and stand and sing the song?